0: Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that introduces you to some of the top talent in the world of cybersecurity.
1: Hello and welcome to No Password Required, a podcast dedicated to exploring the minds and personalities that make up the field of cybersecurity. I'm your host, Jack Clavy. Filling in for Ernie Ferrareso today is our former guest, Tasha DeNos. Tasha is the co-host, of the Do We Belong Here podcast, so we're in great hands today. On the show, we're going to chat with Joey Devilla, also known as the accordion guy. Professionally, Joey is a senior R&D content engineer at Off 0 a division of Octka. Joey's workday responsibilities have a couple of facets, including writing, developing, and creating technical content resources. After hours, He loves spending time with his wife, playing his accordion, and sharing his nerdy take on his two personal blogs. Joey, we look forward to a great conversation, but first, hello to my co-host, Tasha.
2: Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here again. So, we have a great topic today. AI is everywhere, and it is taking the place of many important things, such as Law do not pay lawyers offers one million to let AI argue before the Supreme Court in their place. So artificial intelligence is taking over, and we are going to chat about how we feel about that today. So
1: this co- artificial yeah, this company is crazy, Tasha. It's it's been around for a little while. There's a, a guy I think he's it he it might even be not even thirty yet, uh, but he's the head of his company, and it started out it's an AI that sort of built off chat GPT and, okay. it, and it does, I think it's first thing was um, helping people dispute traffic tickets. And it's also got other uses where it could help you if you're, you, you pay like a, a monthly subscription fee and, and yeah. you, it helps you cut the line when you've got to call the DMV. It'll, it'll wait for you. Um, if you've got a call to make an airline reservation and things like that, but they've got this million dollar challenge they want to be in the ear of an attorney at the Supreme Court. I, it's one thing for the for AI to take away, you know, traditionally repetitive jobs. It's another thing for them to come yeah. for the oral advocacy in the Supreme Court. I'm a little worried about this.
2: It's very interesting, as uh, you know what I mean. So I've see, I've watched a lot of videos and and read a lot of articles on. Lawyers themselves saying they put in, you know, asked questions and, and got information back from chat GPT that would take them months and months to um do research on coming back in like 30, 40 seconds, getting getting the paper done. People are are using this application. Have you used it? Have you tried I've it? I played yet? around with it,
1: but not for legal work. But not for legal work. But yeah. I, so I I like the idea of, I mean, it look, it's at one point lawyers were writing things out and handing them into the court. You know, Abraham Lincoln would write out legal briefs by hand and hand them in. Um, And then we started using typewriters. Then you go from typewriters to word processing then to really, and you know, we use a variety in our law firm, a variety of um, fill in the blank kind of templates for at least first drafts of Mm -hmm. some stuff. And we use a lot of AI, what you could describe as AI assisted legal research, but that's all within nope. pretty well-worn, almost legal library databases. This is entirely new because this, when you use these sort of, I guess called call them widgets, mm-hmm. they actually go and interact with third parties. You're filling in a couple of screens and then they go and actually get you a refund on, on an overpayment. They cancel a credit wow. card you didn't want. It's actually taking action at your direction, which is a, a when little you different. Have. So. I, I it's, a, it's scary where, I mean, they said it was coming, right? We've all been talking about uh, the white collar workforce getting replaced. And if these things work the way they do, a lot, a lot of the work, I think uh, it's targeting, I guess, first things that are repetitive Yeah, um, that maybe you wouldn't hire a lawyer for. But their latest million dollar challenge, I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to take them up on it, but.
2: I was going to ask, it doesn't sound like you support the million dollar challenge. You're not going to take it, take it up. As we'll say not the Supreme Court. Would you take it? How about your your local circuit court? I worry about the disclosures. Yeah, I
1: worry about like if I'm if I'm doing that. I mean, sometimes like you think about, okay, I'll write down the arguments I might make and you might read a portion of your argument. Um, that's not great advocacy. But this in some ways is not really different from that. The, the part I'd be interested in is, I'd love to do a mock of this. Is It's in your ear. And it's responding to the questions from the judges. That's the part that, that is the AI part.
2: Ah. So if it
1: does that, that's really, I mean, there were discussions about this with Google Glass when it came out. What was it, 10 years A while ago. If you brought Google Glass into like a negotiation or something, and it was like, you know, detecting whether the other person's temperature was going up or heart rate was going up, could that be, and there were ethical conversations about it. Um, I don't know. I think if I were to do something like this, in kind of a fun and experimental way, you wouldn't want to do it on behalf of a client. You'd have to do it, I think.
2: Yeah, in, do it on your own. In a speech
1: you were giving or in, or in a, um, you know, a, maybe a board presentation where you're answering questions from a board and they know you're doing it sort of as a, you could see a tech company board kind of being interested in this.
2: Yeah, being interested because it's, it's everywhere. I've downloaded the two AI art apps on my phone and I have chat, I've just paid... 20 bucks for a year to have an AI assess- assistant. So it's, I don't, I don't think I need it. You know what I mean? What <laughs> I don't is the know AI what assistant, I'm going to What are they
1: supposed to do? I
2: have no clue. Awesome. I'm not going to lie. I have no clue. I don't know what it's going to do, but I've played around with chat GPT and because it's become so popular, it's been down. Da- it's down sometimes, and in my first world ways of wanting to have access to something that I don't even need access to <laughs> in 10 minutes, I said, well, let me see if there's any apps out there. And I, and sure enough, there was. Awesome. So I don't know what it is. There's more to come on that, Jack. Maybe I'll get you the app so you can try to challenge in the boardroom at work one day to see if it actually works. But I always think and, if it worked,
1: everyone would be using it, but maybe they are. And I'm just not like... If, if it was that kind of an aid to actually negotiating or actually being, you know, like the thing that we all pride ourselves on that we say, well, a computer can never think on their feet like we can. Mm-hmm. But I think the reality is that computers probably much, much, much better than we are and more accurate in thinking on their feet. Yeah. But it would be great to think, I mean, think about how many times now we use the equivalent of it. Like I just don't tolerate not knowing the answer to a factual question anymore like, if someone asks me, like, you know, who won the World Series in, in 2010, I will immediately look it up on my phone. Right. Yeah, so that's,
2: it doesn't even have to be factual. I will look up an opinion and be like, well, 86% of the people like green better than blue. You're wrong. There's no, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I'm on the same page as you. You need, the, the way we're addicted to having instant access is so interesting. So, if
1: somebody could prompt me, and right, if if, if if my phone knows that I'm going to ask it, so if, it, if it's, let's say I turn my phone on so it's always listening and it knows that anytime I asked a fact question and I don't know the answer, if it just popped it up immediately and I might glance at it, it would save me the step of asking it. In a lot of ways, like, I think that's what these sort of AI chat-based programs are doing. It's anticipating likely questions and then giving the answer. It just cuts all the steps out. Um, uh, so I think yeah. you can see it from just a, a, an architecture standpoint, being really effective. Uh, what's, what's the joke? Like the only thing worse than, um, an AI, uh, drive, like uh, what, the only thing worse than a driverless car is all other drivers. You know, because like, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's accidents with AI, but, but it's like so much less than with yeah, distracted so much better human, than you know, who's mm-hmm. smoking a, a Smoking a vape pen and uh, and texting while trying oh, to drive checking. a giant car.
2: Exactly, exactly. I th- I think the key is um, what I've been talking. You know, I, I think one people aren't using it because they don't understand it and they don't know that it's as as available as it is. Um, what I talk to my friends that that people are scared of it as well. Yeah. So I think the key is it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to get bigger. I think we've got to figure out. If jobs are going to be replaced, what is the new thing that we're going to do for ourselves to make ourselves as a human being important in a space where you might not be? Right. That's the equity
1: issue. It was supposed to be technology would come. This is a a deeper thought that that we can unpack, but like the idea that technology was supposed to make our lives ones of leisure. Instead, it's just making people unemployed. So, so. And uncomfortable. And uncomfortable. So I think for our audience listening, it sounds like uh, keep doing what you're doing because with AI and chatbots, they're always going to need people to build build and design them, program them, troubleshoot them, sell them, fix them. Uh, you know, it's, it's the jobs they're taking. Uh, when we get AI building AI, then, of course, you know, it's all over. But so until that oh comes,
2: gosh. I think. Good Jack just made my chest tight. It was sounding so good.
1: <laughs> right, but eventually they'll all just be, be servicing themselves. It'll be like a Terminator situation. It'll be a Skynet situation. But until then, I, you know, uh, Do Not Pay says that they can get you out of some pills. So kind of, a cool, kind of a cool thing. We'll have to keep an eye on it. I did take a look. Part of me thought, what is the sort of legal ethics of this? And yeah, I don't have an opinion yeah. on that. But I did take a look at the terms and conditions on the website which is usually what you put out there, the legal relationship between the users on the one hand and the company on the other. And they have a, essentially, they say they're not a law firm and they're a platform for legal information and self-help. So they're basically saying, right. even though they're advertising, I think says in a couple of places, you know uh, the AI law firm or things like that, they, they, they are clearly disclaiming that they are a law firm. So maybe they can, they can do a lot of these things. I think if, you're in a courtroom situation, though, and and it's only the AI talking through the lawyer that carries some closer questions. So, the legal ethics are are ever evolving. So, I think they're going to have to come up with some kind of response to this. And there was some fooling around with it back when back when uh, back when Google Glass was out. But I got to go maybe dust off what but those articles said back then. We've had a lull in this kind of thinking for a while. A long.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, there's there's a lot going on with it because it's it's. I, I read once that recently there's a gentleman that created an AI uh, children's book. He did not write it. He asked like chat GPT to write the book, then went to the AI art um, developer and then asked them to um, develop the art for it. And then he just started selling it on Amazon. So a lot of children's authors are like, this is so upsetting. But then, um, a lot of other people are like, well, the thought that he had to do it, you know, no one else had it. So he that's that's it's his intellectual property for thinking how to utilize something like this. You can't be mad at him and nothing's there to protect, um, <laughs> to stop him. You know, I, yeah, I definitely Googled because that's you guys might see my book coming. Up, my children's book.
1: I can finally get my book about dinosaurs going to the moon that I've been wanting. You know, See? I, I like this, that idea of even, even not for like big consumption, but if like a kid has a crazy idea about like a story just using the, using the chat module to create it, um, it's kind yeah. of neat, you know, or if you have an idea for, you know, well, I, I want AI created music. Right. So, you know, we,
2: oh, wow.
1: we'll be, we'll be asking, I think a good question later on about, um, to our guest about the, their, the rock band that they would want to form. But you can imagine, you know, okay, I want a rock band that has, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, this guy on drums, this woman singing, and this person playing the guitar, uh, and I want a three and a half minute single, right? At, at some yeah. point, you're going to get that, and it's going to be pretty neat yeah. to see, you know, what it would be like to see, you know, to, to see uh, all these kind of famous styles being mixed together, and maybe that's already happening. If if one of our listeners knows about it, send us a message. Uh, um,
2: Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, with that being said, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we are going to talk to Joey Devilla about his passion for making his local community a nerd haven.
0: Looking for more No Password Required content? Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at No Password Pod.
1: Welcome back. Our guest today is Joey Devilla, a complete badass on the accordion. And the senior research and development content engineer at Off Zero, Joey. Welcome to the No Password Required podcast.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Can you just tell us a little bit about your career path, how it led you to your current position at Off Zero?
3: Sure. Uh, It's a series of accidents, actually. Uh, I was uh, I was doing a very extended Van (laughs) Wilder-esque. university career, so uh, <laughs> about seven years into a four-year degree, and uh, I um, I was a DJ at the uh, Campus Engineering Pub, Queen's University in Canada, and um, I was broadcasting some, uh, while I was playing tunes, I had some video wallpaper on the screen, and it was from this uh, multimedia company in Toronto, just some... Some videos showing what, uh, showing their work because it was kind of fascinating to look at while you're on the dance floor, and uh, somebody came up to me and said, "You know, I know those people. They're hiring." <laughs> and so i I took a train to Toronto the next day to interview with them. And I said, "You have to give me, you have to give me a job. I want to do multimedia. I don't want to do, I don't want to do mainframe programming for banks, which was probably <laughs> the biggest opportunity at the time during these uh, during the pre-web era." And, uh, yeah, after, after a few job interviews, which was mostly hanging out with them for beer (laughs) at several Toronto pubs, uh, they decided to hire me. And, uh, from there, it's just been a series of accidents. Uh, uh, what happened a little bit later on was that, uh, working, um, I was working at, uh, a little consultancy and a friend of mine, friend of mine, Corey Doctorow, sci-fi author and also EFF spokesmodel, <laughs> actually said, hey, you know what? Do you want to do you want to work on electronic gift certificates or do you want to change the world? I'm starting a startup. And this was late 1999. And I said, I want to start the startup. And uh, so I joined his I joined his company. They sent me to Linux World Expo to gather some information. And while I was there, I brought my accordion with me, and um, huh. I was hanging out with the Slashdot people. And um, what uh, they uh, th- there were some CNN people wandering around, and I just decided to leap in front of the cameras and just play play a number. Uh, managed to parlay that into an interview, and by the time I got back to Toronto to report to the office, they said. We saw the interview from now on, you, you are doing developer relations. (laughs) And since then I've either been doing either making software or talking to people who make software doing developer relations. Auth zero was a very lucky break. It happened when my job in, um, my job working at a company here in Tampa, uh, evaporated, uh, because of COVID they had to lay off half the staff and, um, I stumbled across uh, I stumbled across um, the uh, ad for uh, for Auth0, and uh, they just uh, they were looking for a developer relations person, and I went through the interview process, and it worked out really well. And uh, here I am. Basically, they've changed my title; it is now develop yeah, senior developer advocate. I am at the Auth0 part of Okta. So Okta is in off zero used to be competitors in the same space but doing very different okay. stuff. It's all it all boils down to um, authentication and authorization or login as a service. You really should not be building your own login anymore because of the security arms race, you know it's always uh, you make a move, uh, bad parties make a counter move and so on. So yeah, it's basically my job to show people how to use our services to control access and permissions in their applications particularly mobile mobile and IoT so i like to call my job strange new platforms yeah what
1: what are some of the ones that like on the IoT side what are some of the ones that are you know challenging or that you found interesting on that side
3: well Um, for the most part, it's largely been Raspberry Pi based things. And we've been talking about, and uh, it's largely talking about using the Raspberry Pi as a front end to talk to some kind of service that you have to get permission to access. So one thing, um, one article that uh, I, I tech edited and helped put together was one where uh, you would have this bathroom mirror with a raspberry Pi in it. It's one of those mirrors that you can slightly see through. So there's a monitor behind it. So while you're shaving or doing your hair or your makeup, you can catch the news or see bulletins because this little screen behind the mirror is flashing you updates so you can get your text messages that way. So, yeah, it's a a smart mirror. Uh, It is a goofy thing right now, but I figure, you know what, 50 years from now, People will complain when they don't have a smart mirror in their hotel room or their own bathroom.
1: The Raspberry Pi now, it's used for so many different kind of cool things. Um, And, you know, there was my son goes to a little coding camp and they have just a bucket of Raspberry Pis where they've lost the password for them. And they're just waiting for (laughs) someone to come and claim them, Uh, you know, which is it's a decent sized piece of technology for, you know, to just lose the password for them. They've got a little bucket is this yours? And, and where's the password? So I like the idea of working with that and making that a little bit easier to use.
3: Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a fun machine. And you have to remember that inside a Raspberry Pi inside a Raspberry Pi is maybe, uh, you know, the power of a laptop from about 10 years ago. And it's amazing that it's packed into something that's about the size of uh I was going to say pack of cigarettes, but I don't know if anybody. I can't even remember the last time I saw four, a pack of cigarettes. I think it's a deck of cards. Four
1: vape pens taped together. I think is what. They were okay, saying.
3: there we go. <laughs> Kids today.
1: Can you uh, back us up a little bit? So you know, we sure. we, got, we picked up your story when you're on your Van Wilder sort of exchange, but at some point you had to learn enough to even think about a career in mainframe work. When did you first start working with? computers, either on the hardware side or the software side. Like where did the interest capture you? Uh
3: that was seventh grade. Okay. Uh seventh grade. Uh my uh my very good friend pa- uh at the time Pavel Rosalski. Uh his dad is an engineer and um he was into computers and I thought I thought they were fascinating. So we worked on a science fair project together and got all the way to the finals with it building uh, uh, building and uh, and or and NAND and NOR gates, and demonstrating how they work using uh, uh, st- using uh, stuff that we'd cannibalized out of old electronics and some relays that we managed to buy from an electronic surplus store in downtown Toronto. That's awesome. That- yeah. And then since then, uh, since then, I've just been into the programming. So I had uh, I had an Apple IIe and uh, mastered Basic and Pascal that way. And, um, then later on when I went to university, I, my, my first ma- uh, my first attempt at a major was electrical engineering, uh, and, uh, second attempt at a major, which was successful was <laughs> computer science.
1: <laughs> what advice would you give to folks who were starting out? Maybe they're learning their first programming language and they're thinking about career paths. What, what advice would you give them for their, um, you know, uh, for as they approach college in terms of maybe how to turn that into a major and turn that into a career?
3: Well, I guess at this point, I would say, take advantage of the fact that right now we live in an age that's an embarrassment of riches for no, uh, for this kind of knowledge for starters. I mean, we, uh, there are, uh, just on YouTube alone, there are plenty of, uh, amazing, amazing courses. In fact, uh, I've just been uh, I've just been skimming over uh Andre Karpathy's uh YouTube videos. He used to be until last year, he was the head of AI for Tesla. And before that, he founded a little company called OpenAI who made a little application called ChatGPT. You may have heard of it.
1: <laughs> that's oh that's great. Yeah.
3: So that's his baby, and he's actually, he's got one video where he's walking you through building a baby version of ChatGPT that generates Shakespeare plays, or at least Shakespearean dialogue. (laughs) So I'm I'm looking at that, and I'm also going, you know what, this reminds me of way, way back when I was in high school, and I was trying to replicate the uh, program, the original chat, uh, the OG chatbot, Eliza. The uh, um, are you familiar with that one? The cycle. Psych- it's a psychotherapy. It's a psychotherapy one. It tried to, it tried to simulate one of those psychotherapists who throws everything back at you, like you oh, say something. Yes, the yes,
1: I know. How does that,
3: that make you feel? You know <laughs> that kind of thing, and it tries to talk you into talking yourself. I've read. I've out. read
1: some of those chat those transcripts because there were some with with the newer uh, chatbots getting a lot of coverage, they were revisiting that. And I think the Wall Street Journal had some transcripts of the old Eliza conversations. And it looked like how I sometimes talk to my wife, you know, oh, 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 that happened at work? You know, uh, uh, how do you feel about insert thing that happened at work?
3: (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, Eliza is a bunch of, yeah, Eliza in the end is a bunch of stock phrases. What it tries to do is detect, you know, the pattern that matches what you gave it and just throw it back at you with, you know, fill in the blank.
0: Wow. How awesome.
3: And uh yeah, when I I was totally fascinated by that when I was in high school and I was going, oh, this is great. And then I heard about uh there's another one that came after Eliza. I don't know if it was late sixties or early seventies called Perry who um and it modeled a paranoid schizophrenic patient. And I think in the mid-70s, what they did was they had the two programs, Eliza and Perry, talk to I each other. to each other. Yes.
2: I, quick question, Joey. You've talked about, you call them accidents, the the accidents of your life. There's so many little nuggets, I believe, that you said for people that are listening, especially with so much, there's like so much um, ambiguity in the tech field right now with people changing jobs and things like that. What what would you say to someone listening? Like, how did you trust the serendipity of your life? Like you have so many, one thing fell into another that fell into another. Like, how did you just trust yourself? Like, Oh, I'm going on that interview tomorrow. I'm going to meet those people and work at that, that company. Like how, how did that, what are some tips you could give somebody to to get that oomph, that excitement that you have?
3: Well, For starters, I wish I could say it was my own idea. I think uh, a lot of it comes from my parents. Mm. All right. So I'm originally from the Philippines. I was born in the Philippines. And when I was really, really young, my parents, who are both doctors, actually everybody in my family is medical. I'm the black sheep of the family by having gone into tech. And um, they decided to get uh, some experience in the U.S. So they went, you know, they... uh, So they went completely, you know, they went to the complete opposite side of the world to get their first experience as professional doctors in the U.S. And the plan was to, the original plan, and we did, we followed it anyways for the first part, was to go back to the Philippines and stay there. Uh, That was when I was about four or five. And about three weeks after we returned to the Philippines, President Marcos declares martial law. And the whole place goes banana republic really, really quickly. And my parents decided, you know what, this probably isn't a safe place to be. And they started, uh, uh, they started looking at going back to the U.S., but the uh, political situation was a bit iffy and they weren't taking people from the Philippines at the time. And uh, an uncle of mine who lived in Canada said, hey, why not Canada? So there's an immigrant, there's a point system for Canadian immigration. And if you have skills, you get more points. And if you cross the threshold number of points uh, in Canada, they generally said, come on in. And that's what we did. So, uh, like from age uh, seven and up. Yeah. I lived in Canada until about, uh, until about 2014. Yeah. 2014 when I moved here to Tampa. Nice. So, uh, A lot of it, a lot of it just comes from my, uh, from my parents. Sometimes uh, they just encouraged me to go for it. And then I've just learned and just from watching friends who did. Yeah. It's, it's the friends. My happiest friends are the ones who went for it.
2: That's a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Somebody, somebody should design that. We should go to Teespring and go make that up.
2: Yeah. I like it.
3: so uh yeah and ever since- and ever since then i have uh it's it's just become clear to me for um simply but a lot of good things happen simply by showing up by you know to borrow a really geeky or mathematic term uh you know what you' you are expanding your luck surface area by go, uh, by going out there by showing up by trying the new thing
1: is there i mean well we're very glad that you've joined us in the Tampa Bay area. So that's our our benefit. Uh, We know that you're pretty active in making your local community, wherever you might be, a a really good place for techies. Can you just kind of describe for us some of the things that you do um, to to do that here in Tampa Bay, some of the things that you do to, uh, or what you've observed in the tech community
0: here?
3: Okay, well, uh, the big one probably is the Tampa Bay tech events list. And that was originally a job search tactic, more than anything. <laughs> so I just wanted to be able to say, "Hey," uh, in an interview, among other things, uh, I happened to produce the list of tech and nerd events in Tampa Bay. So that that was basically because I was—I uh, think I was uh, one of the one of the job categories I was going for was a developer advocate of some yeah. kind. So I figured, what better way than to actually have some. Uh, uh, something that I can point them to, going, see, this is me advocating and and representing to uh, uh, representing to developers.
1: How did the Jerry, and- How did the pandemic change that? I mean, it was a, it was a good thing going, and then the pandemic changed it. You know, are we done with that? How did it affect it? And then, do you think we're we're now are people meeting again in person?
3: Well, for the pandemic, a lot of events went online and I specifically modified the list. So I was going, look, you know what? For safety's sake, I'm only showing online okay. events. But I think it helped it a lot because what happened was people were, you know, people being stuck at home and they'd seen all the episodes of Tiger King by that point. We're looking for something to remember, do. do you and, remember uh, Tiger
1: King? Like that was such a huge thing that I haven't thought about it probably in 18 months. It was, it was,
3: <laughs> yeah, Never forget
2: it, Carol Baskin, right? never forget <laughs> <laughs> never,
3: yeah, never forget. Well, the thing is, I live a block away from one of the dramatization scenes. So uh, uh, the neon sign Alpine Liquor when Carol Baskin is going, walking on Nebraska at three in the morning trying to clear her head. And when she meets her first husband, <laughs> they reenacted it at Alpine Liquor oh, in Seminole Heights, which is awesome. uh, walking distance from I, I, I so remember I, that I, scene.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, that's awesome. Do people go and take pictures by it? They should if they haven't. As- yeah. Aside from me? I know. <laughs> I know one person who's done it, yeah. Okay. I I have uh
3: I have I was kind of hoping that the pandemic uh would have calmed down by our, uh Halloween 2020 because I was ready to go as Joe Exotic. <laughs> that was my plan. <laughs> Go, you know, just cowboy hat and a long blonde wig, and keep screaming, Give me my gun, give me my going to Tampa gun.
1: (laughs) Well, we know that you do a lot of performing. What, where did that passion come from? Where did your interest in performing kind of come from? Uh,
3: probably initially, uh, when we have extended family gatherings, there is after dinner typically the talent show. The, right. uh, the kids have to have to do some kind of performance. So I got, uh, I just got used to it. And then um, in, uh, it was the spring of 99 when uh, I, I was complaining to a friend of mine. I was going, look, I, I'm thinking about do, taking up being a street musician as a hobby. Thought it might be fun. Thought it, uh, you, you know, thought it might be, thought it might be a nice way to meet people. A good number of those people, hopefully women, you know, single at the time. And uh, I was complaining that I had no talent for the guitar and that you can't drag. You can't drag a piano or synth on the street. They're they're either too large or they need amps and power and things like that. And I was saying, you know, what? maybe I should go to a pawn shop and get an accordion. And my friend said, I've got one in my basement. It's been sitting
1: there for years. It's doing nothing. Take
3: it. <laughs>
2: your life i'm loving i I want to have
1: friends who have accordions in their basement you know what i mean what what am i doing wrong yeah (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) so anyways what happened was i took it out the street with a friend of mine who'd also decided to pick up the accordion and uh we ended up wandering around uh the club district of Toronto and passed by Toronto's most notorious goth bar at the time. It doesn't exist anymore. It's a Starbucks now.
2: Oh, oh,
3: come on. It's a sad Starbucks, but Yeah, it's-
2: that's a completely sad switch.
3: Yeah, it is completely sad. So it was called the Yeah, the Sam the Sanctuary Vampire Sex Bar. It was they had their doors open in the afternoon for some reason, and we just wandered in, and it turned out that they were mopping. They were mopping. It was a Saturday, and they were just mopping the floors of the night. And, of course, floors dry quicker with the uh, the place opened up. And uh, it was one of the bouncer's birthdays, and he was mopping up. And he was going, hey, could you play Happy Birthday for me? And we did in a minor key, Marilyn Manson style. (laughs) And that's when the DJ came out and said, I have an idea. You guys come back tonight. Play something off the goth top 20. We'll put you on stage. We'll mic you up. You get any applause at all, I will hook you up with all the beer you can drink.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. Do you remember what you played? Oh
3: yeah, we ran back to my apartment. We looked through my CD collection. Remember CDs? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. and found uh, Nine Inch Nails. And we figured Head Like a Hole. We love that song. And I bet you we could learn that in an afternoon.
1: <laughs> where did you learn to play? Like, you know, just where did to learn the fingering, and like, did you self-taught or did you get lessons? How did it come about?
3: self self talk but prior to that of course I was a keyboard okay. player mm. and then uh yeah that's that's just from years of keyboard playing I played with uh I played with friends bands uh yeah playing uh and yeah my specialty has always been playing the uncoolest instrument in the uncoolest way so it's keyboard the uncoolest <laughs> instrument and uh when I was with uh when I was with uh, rock and funk bands I played it I played the guitar I rather liked being that's freed awesome. up and so that is that is the uncoolest instrument in the uncoolest way.
1: <laughs> that um, what do you play now? Still, how do you like? How do you uh, do You get out in the public and play?
3: Yeah, all the time. Uh, more more formally, I play with the uh, I play with uh, a local musician, Tom Hood. He's got a ukulele band called Tom Hood and Tropical Suns. Uh, largely, largely classic rock. Yeah. Largely classic rock covers. And I met, uh, I I had the good fortune of meeting him at the, uh, Tampa Bay ukulele getaway a couple of years ago. Uh, my wife had, uh, my wife took up the ukulele during the pandemic.
2: Oh, wow.
3: And she wanted to go to this ukulele conference. And I said, Oh yeah, that sounds, that sounds like fun. Let's go. We got an extra, We got an extra one so I could play along, but uh, they found out that I also brought the accordion with me and he found out about it and he said, hey, you got to join my band.
1: Is it the same accordion or is it a new accordion since your Toronto days? Uh,
3: It's a new accordion. The old accordion, the original accordion is a little bit beaten up at this point, but it's, uh, it's at my mom's house in Toronto.
2: I was going to say it's put away safely. We need to see that as you know, it it, is evidence of your life. I'm loving it.
3: Yeah, it's it's in a safe place.
1: Joy, I've got to ask because one of your blogs is um, Global Nerdy. You know, we think that's a rad name, but you know, we probably wouldn't have felt that way about self-styling ourselves as nerds. You know, in the 1980s, what do you think has changed about that term or about nerd culture? that makes it like a cool thing now, but it maybe wasn't before.
3: Well, nerd culture got mainstreamed. All right, Global Nerdy is actually a randomly generated name. (laughs) Uh, um, They're uh, randomly generated by a program of mine called, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, When I worked at Two Cows, most people think of it as shareware, but their real bread and butter is actually uh, selling domain name registrar capability so that's that that's that's how they make their money and uh they have an API that lets you feed it you feed it a bunch of uh you feed it some text a couple of words and it spits out available domain names and uh I have a pro I, a little front end program called the duke of earl u r l and oh that's uh, yeah, awesome let-
1: that's awesome the Duke of Earl
3: <laughs> and what it lets you do was yeah, what it let you do was it would let you just enter some terms, enter some terms, so it would spit back some domain names for you. So it was a yeah, it basically just gave a front end to that a- API, and I used it myself to come up with the name for for my tech site, Global Nerdy. As far as as far as uh, being a nerd these days, it's probably because of the prevalence of the internet and the fact that we are now in a a deeply technological society and we're all wandering around with supercomputers in our pockets and nerd culture has just nerd culture has just taken over um, the, the, the day I truly realized it happened was when I was on the subway in Toronto and I overheard a conversation between two girls in junior high and one was quizzing the other on characters from the Lord of the Rings movie <laughs> she was going to her friend yeah yeah okay the 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 cute elf what's his name she's going I I don't know I don't remember she's going it's Legolas (laughs) and then she says and then she says what about the dwarf you got to remember the dwarf's name she's going no I don't remember and she said it's Gimli you have to know this stuff if you want to be cool wow and I was going where was this (laughs) when I was in high school
1: I think I think those – I don't know if those movies were an expression of what had already happened or if they helped cause the shift. You know, because like after – on the other end of The Lord of the Rings, you've got Marvel Universe Explodes because it really hadn't happened yeah. beforehand. But I think that's what people point to now as being the greatest expression of nerd culture. Oh, yeah. Is like, look, these comic book, which were sort of marginalized, are now the, – couldn't be more mainstream. I, I think I think The Lord of the Rings movie – I, it might have been I, a think cause. Of,
3: I think the Lord of the Rings helped but I also think that uh you know what uh Sp- uh, the spider-man and x-men movies from the early 2000s yeah. also helped yeah. and um I think the other thing that helped was uh Napster <laughs> Napster you have to remember that uh Sean Fanning would get mobbed by fans at uh whenever he went outside you know and uh, prior to that it's kind of hard imagining a programmer getting (laughs) getting mobbed i mean uh
2: i think we have the more access we have to people shows us that more people are nerdy than not you know what i mean like the more the world like social media the more we get exposed you don't just have this one dynamic of what it means to be a cool person like now you're seeing like my son's obsessed with anime and if, if okay. to see how many kids are obsessed with anime. And it's like, uh, I guess I have to learn who Naruto is, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I figure these things out, but I think it's just the more access do we have to each other that you don't have to be this one dimension person. I can like Lord of the Rings and then mm-hmm. also have a varsity jacket on. Like there's, I'm, there's more dimensions to my personality than, um, they used to depict before the internet exploded.
3: Oh yeah, exactly. It, gave, it yeah, and it gave us access. It, yeah, it gave us access to a lot of things that we'd never uh, we'd never see before. But uh, yeah, I think that was kind of building. Th- I think that was kind of building up uh, as the internet grew and things like that. I mean, uh, I mean, consider how big rap is in the suburbs, right? You know, maybe
1: <laughs> that's a good exactly. yeah, that's a good parallel to it, right? It had to right. It had to get there. And that's not, in a large way, not different from anime becoming popular in Tampa Bay, right? My, my, Tasha, yeah. same as you, my 13-year-old daughter is a huge fan and knows more about that than she knows about what's on CBS. I mean, it's a really, because yeah. they can access it just as easily. There's no difference to them if they open a device to seeing something that's going to be out on broadcast cable, broadcast or cable versus getting something that's streamed from netflix or from amazon prime or something it, it, to them it's we can access the information the same way whereas before you had to maybe go to a specialized you know video store to go get a copy of a, a real yeah. japanese anime and then it might not be translated or you couldn't play it right or something like that but now it's just
3: so yeah, accessible. Yeah, yeah yeah you had to hunt it down i mean for the longest time uh mainstream anime in the u.s was pretty much limited to uh in the late 80s that was robotech and then in the mid 90s sailor moon
2: Sailor Moon. Sailor moon. Heart smile. all
1: right well i think at this time we'll take a short break and when we return we're going to go through the lifestyle polygraph with joey so everybody please stay with us
0: you're listening to the no password required podcast we cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff.
2: Welcome back, Joey. Are you ready for the Lifestyle Polygraph? Yes, I am. Okay. You talked a lot about music, so this one is, what three people would you choose to make the ultimate rock band, and what cover song would be your first release?
3: Oh, wow. I would probably... Okay, I'd have to go with Red There is uh, <laughs> no... <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I would have to. I would definitely have to take Weird Al on. I would definitely add him. So he, uh, yeah, he is my accordion accordion hero.
1: royalty in a lot of ways.
3: Yes, exactly. Uh, I'd also have to go with uh, you know what? Just because he's a really big part of uh, my being an accordion player, anyways, in the first place. Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, ooh, because he has done all sorts of things i mean uh from doing the goth band stuff to um now being an apple spokesperson for apple music and um let's see now somehow somehow winning both uh country and hip-hop awards for old town road and for doing music for films even disney films oh cool I so yeah, so I believe. Yeah, I believe he was. Uh, I believe he was involved with so uh, the Disney film Soul.
2: Oh, that's and
3: cool. um, he did the music for he wow. did the music for the Watchmen TV series. Oh wow! Okay, that yeah. was
2: so good.
3: Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's just got he he's got range, and he sounds like he'd be interesting to play with. And then last but not least, we would need to we need to we need to bring him back from the great beyond. But we need Prince.
2: Ooh, this is a very interesting mix-up.
3: I've always, I've always wanted to jam with Prince. Prince is a Prince is also a brilliant multi instrumentalist. He's got a band around him, but that's for the live stuff. When he's recording, most of it is him. He's the he's playing most of the instruments.
1: I would love to see him and Weird Al together too. See what they would create.
2: So yeah, creative! Yeah, would be great. What's, what song are we releasing? What cover song with these three amazing, talented people that you're going to be joining up with? What is the cover song?
3: I would have to see what we would do with probably the simplest, dumbest, but catchiest song, nonetheless Louie Louie. <laughs>
1: Okay. Could get Prince to do a, a two-minute guitar solo too in there. Well, you yeah, that's the thing. Awesome There'd
3: be a guitar solo and Trent could also really produce it and give it a really give it a really edgy sound. But it's a you know it's a it's a it's a s it's, it's so simple yet it's so catchy. In fact, uh uh and that's probably why it's so catchy. Uh there's I think there's a quote by Eminem where he actually says if I'm working on a song and it's beginning to annoy me, I know it's going to be a hit.
2: Mm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So we've got an awesome cover song with the greatest band ever. What is something awesome in Canada that has not made it to America?
1: You
3: mean aside from healthcare?
2: Oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a pretty
1: sick burn. All right. Fair enough.
2: Okay. <laughs>
3: the uh the other thing I would actually say is nanaimo bars.
2: Oh. What is that? Kind of
3: uh no, it's uh it, it's kind of a brownie like thing. Ooh. But it's got layers. So there is a cakey brownie like chocolate layer at the bottom, and then a coconut cream layer in the middle, and then a layer of just chocolate on top, and then coke and then coconut.
1: Are they made by a brand, or is it just something that that people cook, like they bake themselves? No,
3: it's something people cook. Oh wow! Okay. It's, it, it has the same name as a town in British Columbia called Nanaimo, so in the Pacific Northwest, deep in the Rockies.
1: Okay,
2: interesting. Oh, I got
1: to try to make these.
3: Yeah, yeah. Look at yeah. Look up a recipe. Okay, uh, they are they are great, and uh, for some reason, never found. Never found its way here, like uh, at least poutine has. I think a lot of it's because of the uh, snowber, snowbirds from Ontario and Quebec. They brought it down. So that's fries with cheese curds and gravy.
1: But we don't get as many oh. folks from Western Canada coming down, maybe to Florida. We got to get them. Yeah, we've got to. Yeah, yeah. We All right. we should get some.
3: Yeah, some Vancouverites, some people from uh, from British Columbia. Yeah, to come on down.
2: Interesting. So, so one thing that I would like to know, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, what is the benefit of being a person that says, yes, you just drop everything and go. That has pretty much been your story. What's been the greatest benefit of living that type of life?
3: Well, for starters, it's how I met my wife. So saying saying uh, by, by saying yes and going, uh, go, because I got invited on this um, multi-city going on a multi-city tour of uh, bar camp events these are unconferences where there's no there's no set agenda until the day of because the agenda is set by people going hey I have a topic I'd like to present on and then you get a you get a time slot in a room and people decide whether they want to go attend your session or not uh one of the cities we were at on this multi-city tour was uh Tampa and that's where and that's where I met my wife
2: Oh, I love it. I love it. And does she kind of live in that same philosophy as you? It, it sounds like she's got a, she picked up ukulele during the pandemic. So yeah. you sound like a match made in heaven.
3: Yeah, that's why, well, that's why we get along together. So, I mean, later on, uh, she decided at one point uh, to come up and visit, uh, to come up and visit Toronto. She re- she was uh, She was on a work trip in Rochester, which is just on the other side of the U.S.-Canada border, and decided to pay a visit. And that's when, the, yeah. And that's when we really hit it off. And uh, yeah, because at that point I said, look, uh, you can come up, but uh, I'm going to be busy on the Saturday. I'm going to a friend's wedding. Uh, then it occurred to me, why don't you come along? You can be, you be my plus one.
2: Oh, let uh, see. That's the person that says yes. Okay. Yeah. No, we were, saying
3: saying yeah. yes is important because uh, I don't know if you've seen me. I think they publish this story every year, something where they interview people in old folks homes and mm. ask them about their regrets. And it's always the things they did not do. Mm. I should have done this. I should, I should have gone there. You know, I should have, I should have.
2: Mm. That's beautiful. You know? Cause that That is, that is a, a good model to keep in life and, and you don't want to be that person that leaves that on your, you know, in the past
3: yeah so. exactly my My grandmother's favorite poet was Longfellow, and uh, I think he's got a line in one of his poems saying about about the saddest words are what could have been
2: mm. that is true with with all that we've talked about m- with music, I would love to see if we could finish in style. I see the pianos behind you is you said you've got a new accordion. Duke, are, are you going to bless us with some, some, uh, um, yes. Oh, it's fancy. Oh, look at the colors. Nice look instrument. at We've got the blues. Yeah. yeah. There's
1: a blue pattern. Can you
2: share wow. some of your experience, your music with us? Like just a couple of chords, would you mind? Sure.
3: So anyways, this is a lucky find from the uh, Oldsmar Flea Market. Oh, wow. Nice. There's a guy there who sells used wheelchairs at new wheelchair prices. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and <he laughs> yeah, yeah, don't buy a wheelchair from him. Don't, you, you, you can get better deals elsewhere. But he had this accordion there.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Ooh, I love it. <laughs>
3: And yeah, he had no idea what to do with it. And I said, "Look, uh, one fifty cash. I'll take it off your hands." And he was happy to let it.
2: Go. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Did, is that his decoration, or you spent the time and put these, um, cover the keys oh. and put the love on it?
3: Oh no, actually, the, this is part of the accordion. So this is fake. Isn't mo- that beautiful? It's plastic mother of pearl. I call it mother of toilet seat, <laughs> and yeah, it's. But it is following the traditional accordion uh, design style. They haven't changed. They really haven't changed that much since, say, 1940. So at that point, they, uh, they, they, they all sort of generally have this look like the front end of a 1950s Chevy, the grill. You know, you have to have the grill work and that sort of thing. They haven't changed. They attempted to do it in the 60s. Uh, there are some Glow Paisley accordions out there. If you can find them, I have been looking.
1: That's awesome.
3: But uh, yeah, generally they tend to have this very classic, a very classic look.
2: I love it. You are a man of of many, many lives. One of the things I want to ask you, the last question, the most important question is Mm -hmm. what Star Wars character do you relate most to? Who's your favorite character and how do you like, how do you, which character do you relate the most with?
3: Okay, well, uh, I can give you an easy answer and a hard answer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, I'll go with the easy one. Uh, the easy one, the one I most relate to, uh, is actually uh, actually Han Solo. I like him. He is the interest. He, he is the interesting character. Yes, he doesn't have the force powers. Yes, he is technically not the main character. But uh, you know, a, a, as cool as Luke Skywalker is, he's kind of bland because. He's supposed to be the character you kind of pour yourself into. But I like Han Solo especially. You know, basically, you know, never tell me the odds. He's willing to just, he's willing to just go for it, you know, know. and he's, yeah, and he's actually good at building, uh, building a bunch of friends around him. But for the hard answer, okay, I'll, these are way more obscure characters. The first one is, the first one I'd have to say is Max Rebo. So he's the blue elephant looking like keyboard player. He plays okay, the super, thing, the super okay. keyboard
1: thing. Yeah, with all the, yeah, okay. exactly.
3: But you know, he knows he's working for a gangster, but he's got bills to pay, and he's just trying to keep his head <laughs> down and keep the band going. <laughs> I feel for him.
2: Okay, that's that's a good mixture. This uh, has I, been I, wonderful. Oh, you have another interesting one. Just two more. All right. <laughs>
3: Two more, but two more favorite Star Wars characters. The other one I had to look. Uh, I, uh, the other ones I had to look up their names. One is Elian Slesbagano. I
1: don't know who that is.
3: He's the guy who attempts to sell Obi Wan Death Sticks at that bar at Tatooine. <laughs> hey man, you want to buy some Death Sticks? You know, like I mean, I love you as a name. That, that takes unmitigated gall. Like basically, it's like trying to sell weed to a cop. Like the
2: guy is <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's in
3: uniform. He knows.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Slea's Baggio. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. They actually gave him the name Slea's Baggio. That's
2: what I'm more concerned his, uh, about. It.
3: Yeah. Wow. And then finally, I would say, um, uh, let's see, Force Awakens. Yeah. Actually, uh, the nurse who's bandaging Chewie. She has one, she has the best line of the movie. Oh, you must have been so brave. <laughs> Taking really, really good care. Yeah. Taking really, really good care of the customer. I have to respect that.
2: I love it. That's a lot of different dimensions. So we've got a sleaze bag, a man that's working for a gangster, and then a kind woman wrapping a man up. I, I like it. Okay. I'll take it. Well. Um, one thing I also need to take are what are the ways that people can get in contact with you? We've had a wonderful time with you. I know our listeners want to get connect with you, follow you on any social media platforms, and share any kind of connection. Tell us how.
3: Okay. Well, let's see. On uh, Twitter, more on Mastodon these days, uh, if you search for accordion guy, mm-hmm. and remember, uh, yeah, it's an O in accordion, not an A but after, the, uh, after the first letter. Uh, let's see now, uh, joeydavilla.com is my personal blog, uh, globalnerdy.com is my tech blog, and that's where the Tampa Bay tech events list also is. And uh, yeah, just keep an eye on that, because that's probably the easiest way to find me, because I, uh, I, I post that uh, once, a, once a week, and uh, a lot of people consult it, and it's probably the easiest way to find me on Google.
2: Awesome. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and motivating us to say yes in life.
1: Yes, say yes. Thank you, Joey. This is great. That brings us to the end of the program. Thank you for joining us. First and foremost, I have to thank my co-host, Tasha Dinos, for stepping in for Ernie Ferrareso today. Thank you also to our guest, Joey Davila, Tampa Bay's Weird Al of Developer Relations. Please rate, review and subscribe to No Password Required podcast. You can find us on social media at nopasswordpod. I'm Jack Clabby. Thank you for listening and we'll talk again soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the No Password Required podcast. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. A special thanks goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields and Second Watch. If you would like to learn more about the show, visit our website at cyberflorida.org slash pod. And if you still need more show content, check out our social media at NoPasswordPod.